honestly, it's between last week and this week, I don't know which one has been more stressful for all of us. I, I think we'll have to go with this week. Because last week, the stress peaked right at the end there with the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on Thursday and then the drama going into the weekend. And then this week has just been persistent. It's been constant all week long. In fact, today, I took a nap, like like a senior citizen-style nap today because I was so exhausted from the week. I had to weigh whether or not what was going to be more valuable to you guys on a Friday night, me being a little bit more rested or a little bit more informed because the trade-off was not prepping as much as I otherwise would have. And so I went with rested. We'll see how it works out. It's helpful that we have a, a guest on the phone tonight to to help us uh, fill some time and also address the very relevant issues uh, of the week. Of course, one of the, the star players... Uh, you know, being, being a little bit sarcastic there, uh, of this whole drama with Brett Kavanaugh and his confirmation has been our very own Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, who rose, she boosted her profile pretty, pretty significantly last week by being the center of attention and confrontation with the nominee during that Senate Judiciary Committee meeting on Thursday. And in doing so, took the side of this debate that basically has dismissed due process and dismissed the presumption of innocence and elevated partisan concerns above common human decency and all that's good and right with the world. Fortunately, she's on the ballot this November, and we've got her opponent, Republican-endorsed Jim Newberger, on the line. We're going to speak to him here on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. You can catch up on past shows, interviews, and clips by doing a search for Closing Argument in your iHeartRadio app. And our channel will pop right up for you. We'd also appreciate it if you got some time on Facebook to look up our page, Closing Argument with Walter Hudson. Just do a search for that. It'll pop up. Like it. Set your notifications to... uh, when we go live as we are right now we got the facebook live stream going and uh, when we post things which we're increasingly trying to do 651-989-5855 is the number to join us brad omland taking your calls and producing the show without further ado jim newberger how you doing man i'm doing great walter it's uh it's an honor to be on your show i'm uh, only regret is that I can't be there live. I'm all the way up here in Biwabic, Minnesota. I used to call it Bowabic, but as the as the locals here will correct you, it's not Bowabic. It's Biwabic. It's about four mile or four hours straight north of uh, of the metro, and uh, wow. we've got a, a tour we're doing here, and uh, it's going really great. And uh, just uh, had to had to get you by phone here tonight. So just a a nerdy logistical question did, does that preclude you having attended the trump thing in rochester yesterday or did you drop oh, all the I way was up on there? there last night too wow <laughs> man you're really yeah. traveling the state aren't you we, yes we do we uh we average about 400 miles a day every day and uh it's well worth it sure uh, you got to get out there you know the song i've been everywhere right <laughs> i have <laughs> twice <laughs> so and I'll go everywhere three times if I have to. I'll do whatever it takes to to get this message out. 
Yeah. One, it's it's super important, especially it's become increasingly clear over the last few days just what's at stake. So let's talk about, you know, there's a rule of thumb that, you know, you don't talk about your opponent uh, in a in a race like this. But I think this has to be an exception because Amy Klobuchar has, as I stated at the outset, elevated her national profile in the light, the spotlight of these Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. I, what's your reaction? What's your response and your observations uh, as somebody who is seeking to replace her in the U.S. Senate? And how would you contrast if elected to that position? Well, I guess I could sum it up with uh, three easy words. Uh, um, off the rails. Uh, Senator Klobuchar has gone completely off the rails uh, when it comes to uh, being trustworthy or being professional or just taking this job as a U.S. senator um, to the professional level that it needs to be. Uh, as most of your listeners might know, some might not, uh, I'm a state representative, and I've served in the Minnesota House for three terms, and I've been on the Public Safety Committee for six years. And of all the committees, that's the one that probably gets the most contentious. It, it gets, the, the stress levels can get really high. You have the gun uh, bills and all the other stuff. And I know what it's like to be in a committee when it is hypercharged, the atmosphere is ready to go. But I've never, Walter, I have never seen anyone on my side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle act inappropriately in committee hearings. Uh, for all the years I've been in, in the legislature, watching these uh, U.S. senators act like it was the junior high lunchroom right. was, was an embarrassment to the U.S. Senate. And Senator Klobuchar was right there with them. You know, the very first day, of the very first hearing was only a few minutes into it, Walter, and she was calling for a motion to adjourn. Her job is to sit in that committee, and regardless of what her what her pre-opinion is, right. is to sit in that committee and listen to what is presented before her to make a decision based on what's been presented, not to come in, uh, you know, hypercharged and saying we want to shut this down. You're guilty. Uh, we're not. There's no due process here. This happened, you know, 35 years ago, but we don't care. We're going to do everything we can to destroy your reputation. Mm. Uh, their family was threatened. His, his, his kids had to leave. You know, Walter, that's just, it's just off the rails. Oh, but Jim, it's just a job interview. Don't you understand? I mean, the only thing that's at stake for Kavanaugh is whether or not he gets a promotion. It's just a job interview. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, you know what, if... if uh, if someone, uh, if someone in the workaday world had a job interview like that, the right. person interviewing them would go to jail. It would <laughs> uh, probably be charges pressed. Yeah. So, oh man, it it really has been disturbing from from the the perspective of literally everyone who's been witnessing these proceedings. But you have a unique perspective as somebody who has been, as you stated at the outset, uh, hitting the street, putting miles on the car talking to people in Minnesota, trying to get the word out about uh, your campaign and what you offer in terms of an alternative value to what we're currently getting with Amy Klobuchar. How has this impacted the campaign? Like, what are you hearing? Is is there a change, a shift in the levels of enthusiasm or focus out there on the campaign trail? Oh, this has been an enormous shift. Um, folks around the state um, are they're fed up uh, with Senator Klobuchar's behavior? Uh, they're um, just they are ready for a breath of fresh air. Uh, I've been on the road for 16 months, 
and I've put on about almost 90,000 miles now, all in Minnesota, just getting out there and talking to people. And there has been such a uh, such a measurable change since these hearings started. Uh, I'm talking to folks um, that have approached me and said, you know what, we're Democrats, and we are so embarrassed to tell people that we're Democrats because of the way that the, the, that Senator Klobuchar and her cohorts are acting at these hearings. They said, we're not voting for her this year. And uh, this is this is a common theme uh, that we're hearing. I, I heard it up here. I've been up on the range today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be here uh, tomorrow as well. Mm-hmm. And folks up here on the range, these are workaday people. These are good um, salt of the earth, uh, uh, working class folks that have voted Democrat all their lives for generations. Right. And they're saying we're done. And you know, it, I think the I think the elite Democrats are. I think they they live in a they live in a bubble, and I think it's about to burst. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that's just it is, you know, folks, you talk about salt of the earth people, good folks. Part of what makes them good, part of what makes them salt of the earth is that they're focused on the things that they should be focused on, which is their family, their jobs, their community, their churches, and and just trying to live life uh, in the way we all ought to be able to. And unfortunately the trade-off is of that is that you're not always necessarily plugged in to just how vile some of these proceedings can be but these yeah. past couple of weeks have really pulled back the veil and shown us all who the players are and what their game is and what their priorities are and it's pretty disgusting well in a way it's it's been it's been a, a in a way it's been a gift for the folks here in Minnesota, because for years, for, because Senator Klobuchar has been in office for 12 years, and she wants six more, so she'll be in for 18 if she wins. Mm. And you know, folks are just saying, look, it's it's time for a change. They want they want a breath of fresh air. And uh, Senator Klobuchar has, for 12 years, she's uh, had maintained uh, this persona. She comes home, and you know, she's nice. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna attack her, you know, personally, but her. Her persona has always been nice. She she smiles for the camera and, and does all those things that everyone loves. And then she goes back to Washington, and, and she tells everyone she's a moderate. And then she goes back to Washington, D.C., and she's got a 90, 90% rubber stamp voting record with the extreme progressive left. And when you tell people that, um, you know, it, it registers, but it doesn't register very deeply until they see how she's been behaving. The Amy that we have in Minnesota is not the same Amy that we have in Washington, D.C. And folks are finally getting a glimpse into this, and they've had it. They've, they've truly had it, and they're ready for a change. You know, as the, you know, folks who say, you know, when you're running for office, you shouldn't mention your opponent's name. I mention the Amy Klobuchar's name all the time because, you know what, folks need to know what they've got. And That's right. They've got a chance in, That's right. in November to really make a difference because this is what we're facing. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple question. You can take all of the individual issues and set them aside, and it boils down to a very simple choice. We can stay on the path that we are currently on, a path of, of, of prosperity that we haven't seen since, uh, since the Reagan era. Right. We can stay on this path. We can continue to grow. We can continue to make uh, America great. Uh, we, continue, we can continue to roll back regulations and, and reduce the size of government and help people just uh, achieve their potential. Or... Or we can go back to the old Obama malaise with that Senator Klobuchar wants. That's the choice that's before us in November. And I think most of the folks in the nation are starting to really wake up to this. And it's a big concern to them. And I'm glad it is. And as your next U.S. senator, 
I'm going to be right there working with our president. I'm not going to rubber stamp him, but I will work with him uh, to make America great because I think we're on the right path. Well, and I think what really highlights it is what took place today in the Senate chamber. You know, they had oh, that. Yeah, she voted no on the, on the cloture uh, vote. Yeah, and the, and the final count was 51-49, which that's mm-hmm. a victory, but that's a pretty slim victory. When you think about what's at stake, the mm-hmm. the what what it would have meant for Kavanaugh and you know let, we'll, we're presuming a little bit that things are going to go the same way tomorrow morning, but what would have what it would have signaled what it would have meant if Kavanaugh had been brought down by these flimsy, unsubstantiated, uncorroborated allegations and the tactics that the left has used? I mean that right. would have been that, that that would have been extraordinarily detrimental in a in a irreparable way for the yeah. integrity of the Supreme Court and the Senate. And so the idea that that we have a fifty-one forty-nine split that it's that slim of a majority that that thinks that we ought to uh, affirm the rule of law and affirm presumption of innocence, we need to change that calculus. And getting you in there and getting Klobuchar out, you know, people voting for Jim Newberger uh, on in November would go a long way towards doing that. Well, I, I agree, and thank you for your words. I. I, I look at the, how this vote, how thin the margin is, Walter, and it's, it's very easy to ascertain the fact that um, the progressive left is no longer afraid of, of, of showing their true colors. Usually, you know, during election time, they run to the middle to get elected, and once they get elected, they run right back to the left. Case in point, you look at Heidi Heidkamp out of um, North Dakota. Uh, she is in a, a, a re-election fight right now. She's way down in the polls. Uh, the first time she got elected, she ran to the middle. She told everyone in North Dakota that she was a moderate and right. that she was a good old girl. Right. But you know what? She voted no. And yep. the polls are way against her right now in North Dakota. She's not going to win. I don't right. think she will. And she's, she's, she voted no, and the, the progressive left, they've got a choke chain on her. Um, well, I think we're really going to see the true nature of the Democrat Party. Jim Newberger, Jim for USSenate.com is the website to learn more about the campaign. Is, is there anything else you'd like to let people in on before we let you go? Oh, no, I just appreciate the time. It's really great to be on the show, and uh, the campaign's going good. Uh, check out my website, and I, I hope, to, hope to hear from you. Shoot me an email at the Jim for forusenate.com. All right, sounds great. Appreciate you calling in, and uh, have fun up there on the Northern Range, the Iron Range. Hey, we have snow on the ground up here. Yeah, I saw some pictures to that effect. That's amazing. Appreciate great. it. Great. So thank you, Walter. Yep, have a good one. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. the chance no justice no peace which is an ultimatum right i mean that's what they mean they mean if if their vision of justice it's really a threat it's a threat of violence quite literally if their vision of justice isn't met then they're not going to allow us to have peace i mean that's an explicit threat and it's an integral common part of left-wing protest quote-unquote on a regular basis But it's much worse than that. It's not just no justice, no peace. What we've learned over the course of this past couple of weeks is that it's really no justice, period. 
No justice, period. They they do not want to see justice administrated at all by any definition. And they're they're committed to destroying justice. And like you know, so many things that the left does, their insidious methodology is to change the language, to actually define words as something completely different than what they actually mean. By way of example, you know, I was uh, a, a guest participant in the Wrong About Everything podcast last week, and this topic of justice came up and what it means to the left and the right. And broadly speaking, you know, one of the, the lefties on the show defined justice or her, her description of the different ways in which it's perceived is she said, folks on the left view justice as fairness, whereas folks on the right view justice as deservedness. Now, I have to put I have to put some thought into what she means by deservedness. Maybe she's right. I don't know. But this idea of fairness being what justice is, fairness is a very subjective concept. What's fair is really an appeal to how you feel. Do you feel as though you've been treated fairly? It's not an objective measure. It's and it doesn't really deal with you know if maybe deservedness is the right word, right? Because actual justice is what do you have the right to? What have you earned? What belongs to you? And if you've been harmed objectively by having your life, your liberty, or your property wrongfully deprived, wrongfully taken from you, then how do we indemnify that loss? How do we make it right? How do we balance the scales? How do we make you whole? That's what justice ought to be concerned with. But that's not what the left is interested in at all. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. This problem is a lot worse than the past couple of weeks would suggest. And this is something that kind of hit me as I was going through prep for the show tonight. I, I realized, you know, I celebrated today. I was excited about the fact that this cloture vote on the Kavanaugh confirmation passed, signaling that most likely, you know, barring unforeseen developments over the next 24 hours, Kavanaugh will be confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. That is, of course, good news, right? That's something we should be excited about. That's something we have a right to celebrate. And by we, I don't just mean Republicans. I don't just mean conservatives. I mean Americans, people who are people who uphold the notion of due process, who believe in the presumption of innocence, who believe that basic human decency requires that we weigh evidence before we declare somebody a rapist or a criminal of any sort. Those are the people who won today. Now, as I we stated with our interview with Jim Newberger, the margin was frighteningly slim in terms of that victory, but it was a victory nonetheless. But it didn't take long. It was within a few hours as I was going through articles preparing for the show tonight that it occurred to me, to my horror, that while this battle may in fact be won, a larger war against justice as such that's being perpetrated by the left may already be won by them. It may already be lost by us. And the reason why is because the the cultural forces which have informed this crusade, this uh, crucible, this persecution of Brett Kavanaugh, 
the cultural forces and the philosophical ideas which have informed the left in their effort to destroy this man remain in the culture and they remain in institutions and they are rooted and written in the stone of these people's hearts people who are going through law school people who are going to be our future lawyers and judges and senators and representatives and that's a problem you now have an entire category of people an entire generation of young professionals who are making their way who are currently in or, or making their way into vital institutions of jurisprudence who are committed to this idea of social justice which again is a perversion of the language what social justice says social justice says that what happened with oj simpson was a good thing not because he was innocent but because black people historically have been treated poorly and black people historically have found themselves as victims of an unjust system a system that was rooted in racism at various times throughout history and so because black men have been incorrectly unfairly wrongfully imprisoned or executed or punished for crimes that they did not commit in the past and because white perpetrators have gotten away with murder or rape or what have you in the past that makes it okay and even desirable that oj simpson gets away with murder that's a logical construct within the sphere of social justice similarly in the brett kavanaugh situation there's this idea and we're going to go through it here when we come back on the other side of the break that's very, very prominent and obvious in, term, in terms of it's having been openly advocated for, that Brett Kavanaugh should be treated as guilty whether he actually is or not, not because of what he may or may not have actually done, but as a type of scapegoat to bear the sins of men generally going back through time. So because privileged white men have gotten away with assaulting women and that their crimes have gone unreported or that the reports weren't believed or whatever the circumstances may have been because that has happened at some point in the past involving some people somewhere we collectively can express our sense of justice by punishing Brett Kavanaugh now that is evil that is profoundly immoral and it's a much bigger problem than just the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh just the composition of the Supreme Court if these are the people who are taking this mentality into the institutions which determine my guilt or innocence and your guilt or innocence and the guilt or innocence of our children and our grandchildren, we got a huge war on our hands that we need to gird up and fight right now. We'll talk about it when we return. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, Twin You've heard the phrase, no justice, no peace, which is bad enough. In actuality, they want no justice, period. They're not interested in justice at all. They're interested in displacing justice, replacing justice with something they call social 
justice, which isn't justice at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Streaming at com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. You can join the conversation, 651-989-5855. It is Friday. That means Freestyle Friday. That means we are a little bit looser in terms of the direction we'll take the program. So if you're not on topic, but you got a question or a comment or a concern, something you want to you wanna go over that happened this week that didn't have anything to do with Brett Kavanaugh, we will take those calls, and uh, we'll take the show in any direction you want to go. Brad Omlin taking your calls and producing the show. So the direction that I want to go until such time as you guys decide otherwise is I want to talk about this assault upon justice that is going to continue regardless of what happens tomorrow. Of course, all indications are that Brett Kavanaugh will be confirmed to the Supreme Court in the Senate tomorrow. And of course, I hope that happens. I expect that to happen. And that is a victory. We do, we do deserve to take a moment to celebrate this victory against what the left has attempted to perpetrate here and to revel in the fact that they've revved up the right, they've turned Donald Trump's numbers in a direction that nobody on the left and in the media thought they were going to go. He's at 50% last time I checked approval rating, which is just insane considering the way things have been going. So this is blowing up in their face, but, but... We don't have the luxury to rest on our laurels. We don't have the luxury to act as though we've won the war and we get to just settle down and and go back to our previous concerns and trust that everything's going to turn out fine because it's not. It's not. The left has been at this. You know, it's been on display. Like when we talked with Jim Newberger at the top of this hour, who's a candidate to replace Amy Klobuchar. there's this effort to, uh, or there's this unmasking that's taken place over the last couple of weeks where we've seen up close and personal, gotten a big giant whiff of just how rancid things are in Washington, D.C., just how putrid the left is in both intention and action. But that window, that glance into how bad things are is deceptive in that you you could be tempted, you could be fooled into believing that they're only that putrid and they're only that rancid in this moment, in this context, for, for the specific end of defeating Brett Kavanaugh. In point of fact, this is just one small part of a much deeper and much broader operation that has been in place for decades to change the culture in the United States of America. And that overall operation, the overall war that we find ourselves in, is being successful and has been successful and will continue to be successful for the left unless we recognize what is happening and act accordingly and fight back. One of the fronts in which the left is fighting is by infiltrating the hearts and minds of tomorrow's lawyers Tomorrow's judges, tomorrow's politicians, tomorrow's leaders of our institutions. And they are twisting their hearts and their minds in order to, to deeply root this concept of social justice so that 
when they get into their positions of power and authority, they will apply this idea of social justice rather than actual justice. There's an example of this, a op-ed at the Wall Street Journal written by uh, Heather McDonald. She writes, at last count, more than 1,700 law professors have signed an open letter complaining that Judge Brett Kavanaugh displayed a lack of judicial temperament in responding to uncorroborated sexual assault accusations against him. In his 12 years on the federal bench, Judge Kavanaugh has produced ample evidence of his judicial temperament. If anyone's temperament should be of concern to these protesters, it's that of their students enthralled by identity politics and victim ideology. Immediately after President Trump nominated Judge Kavanaugh in July, hundreds of Yale Law students, alumni, and faculty signed a petition claiming the nomination presented an emergency for our safety. When Christine Blasey Ford's allegations became public in September, Yale Law students convened a town hall to combat a culture on campus that privileges power and prestige over safety and wellness and that precludes many of us from flourishing in this space. When the New Yorker published its own uncorroborated account of lewd conduct purportedly committed by Mr. Kavanaugh as a Yale freshman, Yale Law School alumni organized an open letter supporting all women who have faced sexual assault, not only at Yale, but across the country. 31 Yale Law professors canceled classes to facilitate student protests against Judge Kavanaugh, both in New Haven and on Capitol Hill. The Office of Student Affairs put out a piece of or put out a plate of cookies <laughs> to let students know we are thinking of you. This is college. This is an Ivy League institution. Not to be outdone, Harvard Law students walked out of their classes the day after the New Yorker article appeared wearing pink buttons declaring I believe Christine Blasey Ford. America must stand by these survivors, the president of the Harvard Black Law Students Association told the crowd. The dean of students announced we are supporting our students as they grapple with these issues. Whether she provided cookies is unknown. Judge Kavanaugh has taught a three-week course at Harvard every January since 2008. Nearly 1,000 Harvard Law alumni signed a petition saying his presence on campus now would send a message to female students that powerful men are above the law. In a letter to the dean, some first-year law students claimed that allowing Mr. Kavanaugh to teach would create a hostile environment for many students and especially survivors. Several undergraduates filed Title IX complaints on the same grounds, according to the Harvard Crimson. Earlier this week, Judge Kavanaugh announced that he won't teach the class in 2019. His faculty page has been scrubbed from the school's website. The Kavanaugh hysteria has provided the country with a crash course in academic victim politics. The tribal denunciations of privileged white males, the moral panic over fantastical accounts of sexual predation, the spectacle of Ivy League law students claiming to feel unsafe, the assertion that a single uncorroborated outbreak of male teen hormones should cancel a lifetime of achievement in the law, all originate in the anti-enlightenment ethos of the academy, embodied in critical race studies, feminist legal theory, and the attacks on the Socratic teaching method as anti-female and anti-survivor. The hashtag Believe Survivors mantra is a cornerstone of the campus grievance industry, but uh, inmissible to everything that the law school should teach. It's a religious gesture, not a legal one. 
such belief is independent of proof arising out of a pre-existing commitment to a narrative of ubiquitous female abuse by patriarchal white males. The survivor label presupposes the conclusion that evidence should establish that the accused is guilty of an offense. The fact finder, if there is one, regards contradictions or holes in a woman's story as evidence of trauma and thus as further corroboration. According to Believe Survivor's logic, the Innocence Project, which exists to vacate wrongful convictions and has a uh, presence at law schools across the country, should be disbanded. And, you know, so as a, this, this was the key article. As I was reading this today, this op-ed, this was the article that put it all together for me, that we're in much more trouble than the last couple of weeks would suggest. Because it's not just Brett Kavanaugh, it's not just the Supreme Court, it's not just the partisan politics of a midterm election during the administration of Donald Trump. That All of that is, of course, at stake. But what this is indicative of is a much larger cultural battle that we're in the midst of right now. A battle against the concept of justice as such, which has taken ground, which owns the Ivy League, it owns the academy, it owns the university and the colleges, and the people being taught, the people who will be making decisions about justice tomorrow, are currently being taught that evidence does not matter. They're being taught that. It's be, that is being affirmed by their teachers, by their professors, by their faculty. That evidence does not matter, that what matters is the broader social dynamics, and that we ought to determine innocence and guilt by group association, by whether or not you're male, whether or not you're white, whether or not you're rich. This is disgusting, and it needs to be stopped in its tracks right now. 651-989-5855, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. FM. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. 651-989-5855. Let's go to your calls on this Freestyle Friday. Pat in Shoreview, welcome to the program. Yeah, I, I guess, um, listen, my thinking is, is that the left's primary goal is to take down the white patriarchy. I think that I see that theme a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Hollywood and so forth, as far as um, echoing you, your sentiments, but I mean, it's like Judge Kavanaugh did may not have raped these women, but his uh, white males have been getting away with this for a long right. time, so right. it's okay to ignore the evidence, yep. fabricate the evidence, and and deny him this opportunity. I mean, it I mean, is I, I, it it is racism and sexism. In other words, he's guilty on account of the color of his skin and and what he's packing. Like that's that's the reason he's guilty is because of what he is, not what he's done. Yeah, yeah, and it's frightening. I guess I, you know, we we, we shouldn't be surprised. We saw it with um, we saw the left's reaction out at Google Engineer with this James Danford who puts forth this, you know reasoned essay as far as saying that like the reason there's not a lot of women engineers i.e. is everything from uh you know the vagaries of iq to uh people's you know women's interests and men's interests and, mm-hmm. right yeah and, and and the thing that kills me is i wish one of these senators if i was one of these senators and, and these protesters screamed at me do you believe the survivors 
the first thing I would say, well, if this um, Swetnick is a survivor, no, I don't believe the survivors. I don't believe this woman, you know, witnessed uh, 10 gangbang rape parties and was raped on the 11th. I don't, you know, I, I don't believe her. I don't, I, I have real doubts about Blasey Ford. Right, I right. don't, you know. But I mean. I, I don't. I don't believe her when it comes to whether she's afraid to fly. Yeah. I don't believe her when it comes to whether she's afraid of enclosed spaces. Well, just you think know, about. I don't believe her there. Think about how um, the question is framed. Do you believe survivors? And the the left is so good at this. They're so good at at begging the question, at pa- at packing their conclusion into the premise of their question. To to ask it as, do you believe survivors? You have already concluded that they are, in fact, survivors, that they've survived what it is that they say they endured. Whether or not they are actually survivors is the question at hand. And so to refer to them as not as accusers, right, because that would be accurate. Do you believe accusers? But to refer to them as survivors, that skips the entire deliberation. That ignores the the relevant question. When you stop beating your wife question. That's exactly what it is. I appreciate the call, Pat. Let's go to uh, Bob in Woodbury. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. Say, uh, give, me, give me a moment. I'll get to the relevant point here. But, you know, that Andrew Cuomo is America great. And I looked up why it wouldn't be, and I came across that Jeff Daniels diatribe from Newsroom. Right, right, right. And that leads me to the what I call the wall test. If a wall was built around your country, would it be to keep people in or out? And then you can kind of figure out whether your conclusion of that, uh, he, he says, well, you know, we used to be, and the conclusion of that train of comment was because we were informed by great people. Well, I, I would contend that America is, a is still great, but it's trending the wrong way, and it's trending the wrong way because we are informed not by great men, uh, as he used, but great fools. You know, and in fact, if you look, you know, so many young people get their news from the Colbert Report, or you know, and okay, so to get to the point, um, you know, it'll be entertaining to watch Saturday Night Live this weekend. Yeah. Because last week oh, they they got Matt Damon to play Kavanaugh right. in in their cold open. Yeah, and you know what you just mentioned with uh, uh, Swetnick. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm Yale University, I, what I, I've got to conduct a, a witch hunt to figure out whether these charges are true or not. Otherwise, they risk being accused. Of you know being the next Catholic Church of you know you know having an institution that permits this and you know the, the great fools the media I, I mean you know Blase Ford mm-hmm. she may or may not be telling the truth but the Swetnick allegation yeah. is patently right and obviously um just a farce. I appreciate and, your call, Bob. I appreciate and, you calling the program. Done. We gotta go to uh, we gotta go over a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about this later. Freestyle Friday. My name is Walter Hudson. Closing argument, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, Twin
I started the week sharing the fact that it was really tough for me to unplug last weekend. You know, after those, after that drama that played out in the Senate Judiciary hearing on Thursday and just the, all of the tension that ratcheted up going into the weekend, it was really difficult and, in fact, impossible for me to unplug last weekend at all. I don't think I'm going to have that problem this weekend. I think this weekend I'm looking forward to going home, to being home, to staying home, and uh, you know, taking taking some delight in the victory that we're presumably about to enjoy here, with what by all accounts seems to be the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. And uh, you know, I've been making the point throughout the evening so far tonight that this is a victory in a battle, not necessarily in the war. That in fact the war is looking pretty bad in terms of realizing how prolifically the left has penetrated the culture and corrupted the concept of justice in the minds of future leaders in institutions, lawyers, judges, politicians, administrators, bureaucrats, people who believe that it it is okay and moral and just and proper to judge a person based upon the color of their skin, their gender, their wealth, you know, basically the polar opposite of what justice actually is. Justice is supposed to be blind to all of that and is supposed to weigh evidence and determine guilt or innocence for a specific crime based upon the evidence that has been presented uh, of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a very high standard. All of that is being thrown right out the window. But uh, we can get to that fight on Monday. I think I'm going to enjoy Saturday and Sunday. I hope you will, too. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Streaming at com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. It is Friday. That means Freestyle Friday. We'll take calls in any topical direction you want to go. 651-989-5855. The number to join us. Brad Omland taking those calls and producing the show. Let's talk to Bob in Minneapolis. Welcome to the show. Hi, Walter. Hey, um, I'd just like to make three points. First, um, instead of uh, tiki torches, Minnesotans really need to rise up and get to the polls on November 6th and really make a statement to get Amy Klobuchar out of office for the very reason that these social justice senators like Amy, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't stop here. If, when, he's, if he, if, when he's on the bench... They will pursue him like the Knight of the Living Dead. Yep. For, uh, continually gnawing at him to get him impeached. Mm-hmm. And we need to have our voices heard that we, this social justice stuff has got to stop. Well, and they'll, they'll claim the illegitimacy. You know, an, another aspect of this that I, I don't think we've had the time to even really contemplate is that every decision the court makes from here on out that doesn't go the way the left wants it to, they're going to question its legitimacy, and they're going to point back to this, and they're going to point back to Merrick Garland, and they're going to claim that the Supreme Court itself is illegitimate and use that as a as a motivator to get people out to the polls and to cause chaos in the culture. Well, that brings me to point number two. What disturbs me most about Brett Kavanaugh is... His, obviously, he is um, living in a bubble, and he's kind of seen a, a different world now after that Senate hearing. But what really bothers me the most is that his pandering to these social justices. I hope he discovered that pandering to them at the end of the day doesn't save his hide. That's right. But I'm talking about when he 
talks about how many women he's, you know, the, he's the justice that, you know, brought most women up through the, the ranks in, in the uh, right. courts. Right. You know, that's, right. that's fine. But it shows to me that I take that as like, you know, he's trying to buy points with these social that's justices. That's right. That's right. And he's getting hung for it. There's no point um, in playing that game because they're not going to give you credit. But see, that, that bothers me because if he gets on the bench, will he learn his lesson? Because I get the feeling, because then he calls in also and apologizes for his temper. Yeah, right. So again, yeah. pandering again, pandering. So yeah. it comes across to me that he's well, so, he wants a job so bad. Yeah. That is it the job that matters or is or is he going to uh, judge based on principle and stop this? And rec- does he recognize this pandering has gotten him nowhere? It's a legitimate concern. My, I, I was not a big fan of that op-ed that he put out walking back his his stance either. However, I think that has to be judged in the context where you had these this gang of three, these three Republican senators whose votes were up for grabs, and they, there were efforts that were being taken to try to provide the context in which they could uh, plausibly... Uh, vote for him and get this confirmation passed. So I'm willing to give him a little bit of slack on that front, but your concerns are legitimate. What's your third point? Well, my third point, just to add to that, though, but if they're not at his feet while he's on the bench, is he going to continue to pander? You know, like, we have Justice Roberts, who, you know, totally waffled on us. Yeah, yeah. But second, okay, my third point is, uh, I feel the United States Constitution today is a parchment historical record. To Rein in that charade of a Senate Judicial Committee. I think what would help a lot is to amend the Constitution to restore that the Senate, the Senate is actually, um, the, the, the senators are elected by the state congresses of each state. Yeah. So that there's a more laser focus on them, right. and they don't pull these charades as, as easily. Because right now, all they do is scatter the, the, the many by uh, trading these fights amongst race, creed, and gender. Mm-hmm. And so I think we really start, need to think hard in this country. If we don't restore how that Constitution was set up, well, we don't have then truly you know, our liberty. We don't have um, a, a country that is truly divided. The powers are divided vertically and horizontally yeah. no more. It's getting too concentrated for those reasons, and that would have helped a lot, I think, if if we could amend that constitution so the senators are elected strictly by the Congress of each state, and I think that uh, you know th- that would rein in some of that uh, social justice stuff. Appreciate the thoughts, appreciate the call, Bob, and you know, yeah, that's look, I agree. I forget which amendment it was that. Uh that established that the popular vote of senators, but I'm all for repealing it. The problem is that type of reform uh, and many of the types of reforms that I and other folks on the right have prescribed in terms of the restoration of original intent of the constitutional Republic. That's all fantastic. But in when we analyze it in terms of how do we get to the point where we can actually do that? Our first task is really to, to wake people up first of all, to the war that we find ourselves in and, and then to, to persuade and to sell the idea that these, these bedrock principles of liberty and justice and presumption of innocence and go down the list, that these things are under assault, that they are valuable, that they need to be protected, that they are hills worth dying on because first and foremost, we need to defeat the left politically. We need not just politically, but culturally as well. You know, this is a cultural battle. And I think, that is the biggest weakness for conservatives because 
we tend to think, we tend to view, we tend to compartmentalize. We think of politics as something that belongs in a certain sphere and takes place in a certain area of our lives. And then over, and then we have the rest of our lives. We have our families, we have our jobs, we have, you know, our churches, our communities. And politics is, is like, you know, peas in a, on one side of the plate in their own little spot that we don't mix with everything else. The left recognizes that the whole plate is the battlefield, the culture, the, the school, the church, the community, everywhere you go, your workplace, it's all the battlefield. That's why they're going after people, people's employment. You know, there's, there's an article here about uh, Mark Zuckerberg facing anger from the public over one of his executives at Facebook supporting Brett Kavanaugh. That is a cultural battlefront. And as conservatives, we look at that and we tend to think, well, how horrible that a man's employment, a man's job would come under under attack, come under question due to his political beliefs. And there we go applying principle without recognizing that the context is completely different than the one in which we would typically apply that principle. This is not a scenario where, you know, people are attacking a guy because of his politics. This is a scenario where the left has decided that you don't get to disagree with them and live. When I when I use the metaphor of war, it is a very a very apropos metaphor because what they want ultimately, they actually do want you to die. They actually do. How do we know this? Because what are they going after? They're going after your capacity to pursue value. They're going after your employment. They're going after your business. They're going after your capacity to to provide for your family, to pay your mortgage, to put food on the table for your children. The net result of all of that, the logical progression of it is you die. That is ultimately what they want. They want to create a world wherein you cannot both live and disagree with them. That's their objective. Now, what I'm suggesting is that we need to invert this. Not just that we need to stop it, not that we just need to stop the left from doing that. We actually need to invert it. It needs to be untenable to be a leftist in the United States of America. If you're a leftist in the United States of America, you need to lose your job. You need to lose your platform. You need to lose your friends, your associations. You need to be unable to provide for yourself because you are an enemy of life and liberty and property. You are an enemy of righteousness and goodness and justice. And that cannot be abided. That cannot stand. That We need to start treating this like the war that the left has called it, that the left has engaged in. We need to act as though our survival is at stake because it actually is. Let's talk to Colin in Bloomington. Welcome to the program. Hey, Walter. Uh, so I've got one question, a question slash gloat, and then a point. Kind of wanted to dovetail off of what you just said. Okay. Uh, my first question is, knowing that you know you're you're a bit of a civil libertarian, uh, you seem to be pretty supportive of Kavanaugh for SCOTUS. Mm-hmm. How what do you how do you reconcile his uh, previous stance on, or you know rulings regarding the Fourth Amendment and NSA metadata collection with that? I find it irrelevant to the battle that we're currently in because I don't get to nominate who the next Supreme Court justice is going to be. This is the nominee. We're up against a midterm election. It's him or the left wins, and the left cannot be allowed to win. That's the context in which we're applying the principle. 
in, in a in a more perfect world, though, would that give you pause, or is that something you can? Open yeah, absolutely. Look, I would have nominated somebody different, but I'm not the president yeah. of the United States. And then I guess the the question slash gloat. I, I just want to bring up. You know, I've been listening to uh, TCNT for several years now, long before you had a show on here. I remember. I don't know if it was still up in Adam or if it was Justice and Drew then, but it was in the run up to the election, and you were on there in the morning. And uh, I, I called in to ask you a question because, and you you said you uh, emphatic almost to the point of being smug that you are a never Trumper, and never Trump means not Trump. And now I, I kind of I giggled to myself last night when I heard the bumps for your upcoming show where you talked about having gone from never Trumper to mm-hmm. a Trump supporter. So part of me just wants to say, ha ha. <laughs> But also, hey. I'm curious as to to how what I, I missed your your show last night, so I'm curious as to how that came about. Well, so I'm not going to give me just a, a quick quick rundown of it, I guess. Yeah, I mean the the quick and dirty of it is the same answer to the the first question you asked, which is that the context has shifted, or to be more accurate, my perception of the context has shifted, where I was applying a peacetime political calculus to the question of who I ought to support politically. And what I've come to realize in recent days and weeks is that this is not peacetime. This is wartime. We're, we're under a, a do or die uh, assault from the left that is directed at undermining literally everything that makes America exceptional and a good place to live in. And in that context, you don't get to be particularly picky about who your general is, who your warriors are, P- people who are willing to fight against that. You have to align with them. Sure, and then so I guess I, I'm remembering back to more recent conversations I've had when I, or you and I, you and I have had when I called in, where you know we kind of talked about how there seems to be this, you know, people on the left or on the right are, are not shying away from the fact that we may actually be coming up on legitimate actual conflict because you know it, it truly does seem like that, and that that sort of ties into my next point. And well, I mean, you really yeah, you right. really touched on it right before you, you got on the line with me here, and it's. We absolutely are in a culture war, mm-hmm. and it's it's really high time that because I've seen so many people trying to maintain this idealism of, well, the people on the right are are on the left. They're you know they're good people with bad ideas. Yeah, right. Just, <laughs> no, they are they are bad people. That's right. With terrible ideas. That's and right. They need to be viewed as such because they need to be squashed out. That's correct, and they need to be treated that way, not just at the ballot box, but culturally. Like the- no, and, and and that's that's a point I've made before too. Yeah. It's, not, yeah, absolutely culturally, and that's what I've said. You know, if they if they sit here and want to continue talking about, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have a revolution and Antifa's gonna write, bring it, please yeah, right. for the love of God, you do not know the capacity for righteous violence. Those of us on the right who are defending two hundred and fifty years of American tradition are capable of, and at the end of the day absolutely ready for please for the love of god let this go hot and that's why the notion of of an actual civil war is pretty ridiculous when you think about it because you know just tactically strategically in terms of martial capacity the left ain't got nothing so there you go yeah they 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 want they want the government run by a person they say is literally hitler to take guns and they can't decide what bathroom to use, whereas people on the right are largely made up of veterans and people like myself who never served but have studied tactics and no. spent, yeah it's it's just a none of none of which should have happened but uh, yeah you appreciate the call, Colin. None of which, of course, is an endorsement of initiating violence, 
But if it ever comes down to to having to to literally defend ourselves, and this is not a ridiculous hypothesis because you do have Antifa, you do have elected Congress people telling their supporters to go out and to get in people's faces and to harass them and to stop them from being able to eat their dinner and what have you. We're only a couple of degrees away from actual violence breaking out. It's not going to go so well for the left, though, if it ever actually does. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. Welcome to the News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Let's talk to Anthony in Burnsville. Welcome to the program. Anthony, how's it going? Hey, how you doing, man? Doing all right. Good, good. Uh, did you get to see the, the rally last night? I was here, so no. Okay. All right. Um, no, they're really interesting because there's a lot of common themes, but then uh, I think people like us, he kind of weaves some, some stuff in there that not everyone's going to catch and kind of distract from it, too. But um, to your earlier point about the um, the issue, the overall battle, as you're saying, is, you know, we may have won a small battle, but not the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said something very interesting yesterday. Um, he was talking about the, the media, the mainstream media, and he's like, we could... Um, get them to our side. If we ever got them to our side, we would win for a thousand years. I think is the quote he used. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, with, uh, with Q saying, you know, like they they are the mouthpiece of the left. They're the propaganda arm of the left. And I think it's really interesting. I don't know how far along they are, or how they're going to pull it up, but um, you know, I think the, a lot of the left just listens to what they're told. And if we ever get control back of the mainstream media, of the information source for the American people, um, I I think it's going to be crazy. I, I really do. And I, I think he's kind of hinting that there may be some, like we've heard some things about uh, antitrust and uh, a couple other things that, that could play out. I don't know what the plan is, but yeah, uh, that's in the plan. I I am I appreciate the call Anthony. I am inherently distrustful of trying to achieve those types of ends through government policy. Uh the the look, it's not a simple solution, right? I mean, we we're playing the difficulty that we find ourselves in or the the hazard that we find ourselves in is not just the gravity of what the left is trying to achieve, it's also the fact that we're way behind in the race because it's taken us so long to even realize what's happening and to even be cognizant of the assault that we're under. It's taken decades. You know, I mean, you got folks like me who just put on the mega hat this week, right? Like there, there, there's this desire to not have to be deeply political and that's a healthy desire, right? Like you, you shouldn't have to concern yourself with politics more than you concern yourself with your family, your job, your community, your church, your life. You should be able to just focus on your life. And because we all want to be able to focus on our lives, I think there's a an internal bias that most people, the average person, uh, allows to drive them towards dismissing the importance of, of certain things that are going on. And that's what we kind of have to fight against. We have to wake, when, when I talk about waking people up, 
you know, it's it's funny. It's the, the the left's language. They talk about being woke. We're the ones who need to get woke. We need to get woke to the assault that we're under. We need to wake up to the fact that that the left has for decades been positioning their soldiers on the field, the field of the culture, the field of the university and the schools and the media and everywhere in order to to undermine and, and undercut and erode the very bedrock of our nation, the bedrock of our own liberties and our own freedom and our capacity to pursue our values. And, you know, so we're starting from way behind because we're just coming to the realization of what we're that we're even in a war let alone the lay of the land but we can take solace in the fact that we're on the side of right we're on the side of truth we have the light on our side and and we have and that there's a there is i believe as a believer there's a divine power in that there's a divine power in the truth in being correct in being morally correct brett kavanaugh ch- uh, channeled that power in the Senate Judiciary Committee meeting last week, you know, when he started off his testimony, his opening statement, by calling out the Democrats on exactly where they're coming from and how disingenuous and, and truly immoral they were being, the context in which they were operating, that changed everything. And then Lindsey Graham got on board, and then Chuck Grassley got on board, and suddenly we're off to the races. We can make up all the ground that has been lost simply by making the decision to engage and rather than looking for a simple solution oh let's just do something about the media let's just you know pass an antitrust law or take some sort of executive action to to create competition of points of view within the media you know the fairness doctrine or some bizarre resurrection of the fairness doctrine instead of looking to something like that we need to recognize that the the real front lines in this war are our day-to-day interactions, our relationships, the people we know, the people we have influence over, our children, our families, our neighbors, our congregants, the people who we sit in the pew next to, you know, the, the, the people who uh, we work alongside. That's our front line. We have to wake them up and get them to realize what's at stake and the, and that will be the first step towards because you have to have the political will first. You know, Brad and I talked about this last night when we were going over my transition, the, this this moving from being never Trump in 2016 to now having purchased this week a MAGA hat and wearing it. The, there is a, a a calculation that one has to go through uh, in order to to arrive at the decision to take action and. The the only way the only context in which that calculation is going to take place is where people are confronted with the need, and we have the ability to do that. Six five one nine eight nine five eight five five. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk. AM eleven thirty one zero three five FM. Twin Cities News Talk dot com. Twin Cities News Talk. AM eleven thirty one zero three five FM. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Taking you into your weekend on a freestyle Friday. We'll take the show in whatever direction you want to go. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Omeland taking those calls and producing the show. Let's talk to Pat in Shoreview. Thanks for holding. Yeah, um, 
I guess I heard your thing about, you know, we're in a war now and, and we've got to attack the yeah. left right. and basically go after them as far as the way they're going after us, as far as saying, trying to drive them out of the jobs and uh, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Right. And um, I guess I'm, 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 I think I'm, that we just can't simply defeat them, that we've got we've to go on the counterattack. Um, I'm not sure about that. My, my tendency is to, um, I don't know what, I'm, I'm just coming to the realization, I think, that we're in a war. I mean, I heard Alex Jones talk about the war all the time, and I always thought, you know, he was full of hyperbole and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on Twitter, and um, one of the things I've seen the left do now that, that, that was frightening to me was is that, they won't even engage with you as far as an argument goes. Right. They'll just simply say, you're not on the same moral plane as I. That's correct. So That's un- correct. So un- until you're on the same moral plane as I, um, I won't talk to you. Right, and Pat, so- listen, the reason why you, you have good instincts, right? The reason why you don't want to go after, and I'm presuming something about you, but it's a good presumption, so hopefully you'll take it. Uh, what, what, you're, what you're presuming is that we ought to live in a, we look this is what you bring to the table and you're right we should be tolerant of views that are different than ours and what i'm suggesting that you ought to be able you ought to lose your job if you're a leftist you ought to you, it, life ought to be untenable it ought to be difficult for you to pursue your values as a leftist in the united states of america that sounds harsh and it sounds intolerant but think about what but 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 think about what it is that I'm asking us to to not tolerate. What I'm saying you shouldn't tolerate is you shouldn't tolerate a movement whose stated purpose is to obliterate the concept of justice. Their stated purpose is to obliterate the concept of property. They are committed to being anti-life. Literally, they are anti unborn life they are anti the means by which we pursue life they actually are evil so when you talk about you know people on the left saying well i'm not going to engage with you because you're not on the same moral plane as i am what what i would suggest is they are showing us how we should be treating them because what that claim about us is true of them they are not on the same moral plane as we are we are standing on the side of righteousness well, I, I, I guess the thing I was going to say is, is that when you, when, when people can't talk to each other, when you, when you refuse to engage and talk to someone about their ideas and their differences, uh, the next step is political violence or violence. Perhaps, violence. perhaps, but listen, that, that is what they're prescribing, right? When you tell me right. you're coming, when you tell me you're coming after my liberty, that is an act of violence. I don't care if you hire somebody else or you vote for somebody else to actually initiate the violence. You're still advocating for violence. When your agenda is to is to come between me and my values, to come between me and my capacity to 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 live my life as I choose, you have to you have declared an intention to be violent against me. Yeah, um, I, 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 I mean, I've okay, you know, Walter. I guess I, I, I agree that I think that. I mean, I'm, I'm very concerned. I mean, the country's deeply divided. Everyone seems to agree with that. But at the same time, are we in a bubble in the sense that I look at the ratings? Okay, a million and a half people watch Fox News at night. Mm-hmm. Eight hundred thousand watch NBC, and six hundred thousand watch CBC. Mm-hmm. Now, that scares me that people actually listen to CNN still. I mean, if they haven't been discredited in nonsense, I, I don't 
it's amazing to me. But apparently, they, you know, a lot of people watch, a fair amount of people watch CNN. Mm-hmm. But still, we're talking about three or four million people watch, right. you know, yeah, politically right. sure. driven TV. Yep. But at the same time, 30,000 go to see Trump, you know, and, um, and the other thing is, is that like, I, I, there were some poll numbers out that a lot of women now have sided with Kavanaugh as opposed to, you know, the crazy lefties. And it's a, a fair So what, what are you driving at with these numbers? Well, I'm driving at these numbers is that, okay, is there, I mean, are we, the war, I mean, is there, are we on the brink, how close are we to a civil war? I mean, so and, in terms and, of in terms of a physical war, you know, I think I think this it's a good question and it does uh, require clarification. This whole notion of a civil war, the idea that you're going to have armed Americans taking to the literal battlefield and fighting each other in an actual uh, martial war is something that is not particularly like I don't see that happening ever under any circumstances. But what is taking place is the cultural and political equivalent whereby that there is from the from the left's perspective there long has been this this declar- this intention to through whatever means necessary through whatever means they can get away with and believe me if they could get away with more violence they would to crush their opposition that is their commitment they are committed to that and what i'm suggesting is that in in defense of ourselves and our liberty and our life we have to be equally committed to crushing them not just defeating them destroying their influence leaving them completely incapable of accomplishing anything at all because that's the level of threat that they pose to our lives i appreciate the call pat let's go to carrie in saint paul welcome to the program Hi. Um, Yeah, you might not like me because I tend to describe myself as a liberal Democrat, although there's a lot of things some Democrats do that I don't like. But the reason I'm calling you is because uh, I personally have been molested four times in my life. The first time when I was eight years old by a family member. So whether... Whatever you think of Ford, mm-hmm. um, when I see people say horrible things, and I don't know which Republican it was, I just saw a snippet of it online tonight at work, showing that picture of a girl that's not even her and saying she's too ugly to rape or want to be with, that's the level Republicans are at, and yet they're supposed to be the moral high ground. I, I am. When you guys, no, listen, when you guys say, why don't you report? We had five guys at a workplace I was at with about 500 employees where we took care of vulnerable adults. Five guys assaulted the girls time and again, over and over again, until some of them were afraid to walk in and out of work by themselves. And we reported and reported and reported over and over and over again to human resources, to Mm -hmm. our managers, everybody. You know what happened? What happened? They finally got sick of us. They said, okay, we'll have a sexual harassment meeting. Guess what day they picked? The day that not one of those five guys was was at work. So the females who had been being harassed and the innocent men went to the meeting. The others didn't. Do you understand why we don't report now? I certainly under I, I certainly understand I certainly understand there's 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 no doubt 
that there are issues that need to be addressed. The Star Tribune had a series on the, the horrific handling by law enforcement agencies in this state of sexual assault cases. And, of course, there needs to be reforms in those areas. My question for you would be, do those deficiencies make Brett Kavanaugh guilty of sexual assault, or do we actually need to have some sort of corroborating evidence in order to come to that conclusion? My personal view is they push this through too fast. Women like me who have been assaulted, and the numbers are some people think it's as high as 80% have been assaulted at some point in their life. When we look at this and when the Republicans are like, okay, we're just pushing him through. We don't care what he did. I don't know who has said that. Who has said that we don't care what he did? I mean, look. Then why do you want to push him through when they're they're not pushing him through? He had prior to line for the next opening prior to last Thursday's Senate Judiciary Committee meeting, he had undergone six FBI background checks. He had gone through an entire confirmation process for weeks during which Dianne Feinstein was aware of this accusation. She she chose, she made the conscientious decision to not raise it until the 11th hour, not just the 11th hour, but 1159. No, but if so, so the idea... Anonymous, you guys wouldn't have listened to her anymore than... Oh, okay, right. So in other words, we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. And this is this is my point, is that the, the, the notion that it's Republicans who were rushing him through. No, a, an urgency was artificially created by Dianne Feinstein and the Democrats in order to concoct the narrative that Republicans are pushing him through after he went through a process that was more intensive than every other nominee for the Supreme Court throughout history. And so I, I, I appreciate the call. I appreciate you being willing to call in, Kerry. I don't have a problem with you. I appreciate you being willing to join the conversation, and hopefully we'll hear from you again. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. The Washington Post had a piece today, an op-ed from a gal by the name of Ann Vetter, where she described in disturbing detail sexual assaults that she was the victim of. And she talked about the fact that she has reported them in the wake of this Kavanaugh drama. She's reported them. They were previously unreported and that her reason for doing so was so that in the future, if any of her attackers happen to be nominated to the Supreme court, that there will be corroborating evidence uh, if she chooses to raise those allegations at the time. Now there's obviously some, I don't know if I would use the word sarcasm, but there's there's obviously some attitude. Let's put it that way. There's obviously more than just what meets the eye in terms of what she's trying to convey here. But she does actually arrive at a very solid point. And she, do, she does so with a sense of uh, irony, a sense of why, why should I have to do this? But the fact of the matter is, it is in fact necessary and proper to report when you've been assaulted for this very reason that to to protect other people not just for yourself and look this idea that that it's difficult for women it's difficult for victims to come forward and to report and the, the the what they have to go through as a result of that i understand that there are things that we absolutely properly should do to address that there are cultural 
and political reforms that we can take a look at in order to make it easier. But this idea, there seems to be this unspoken idea that it shouldn't be difficult, right? That it should somehow be easy. In what context, what are the circumstances where coming forward to say you've been the victim of something as heinous as sexual assault, what are the circumstances where that's ever going to be easy? It's not like we can make it better. We can make it easier, but there's never going to be a scenario where it's comfortable. There's never going to be a scenario where it's not traumatic to some degree or another, but we still need you to do it. Not just to affect justice for yourself, but to protect others. And we can't, this idea that because it's hard for female victims to come forward to report their sexual assaults, because it's hard we therefore are apparently going to lower the stand, lower the burden of proof, lower the standards of justice in order to somehow accommodate for that. That is a deeply flawed argument morally and practically, because what you're saying is with what believe women, the implication of hashtag believe women, the implication is an accusation is enough. To destroy a person's life. We cannot live in a society where that is the premise that we're operating under. 651-989-5855. Actually, we're in less than two minutes, so you're going to have a hard time getting in. Let's talk to Julie in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program. Hi. Yeah, boy, everything you said is so true. Um, and my question for the lady would be, did you go to the police or did you just go to the workplace? Yeah, well, it's a relevant question. Yeah, it's very valid. And, um, you know, like I say, I just, I have a hard time believing somebody who works 36 years never says a word to anyone. Yeah. Right, because it wasn't just that she didn't report it. It's that she didn't tell the people around her. Right. And the man's been vetted how many times? Yeah. (laughs) They would, if it was something really important from back that time, somebody would have known at a school or something, and it would have come up in a FBI thing. Um, And I know that for a fact because I had a friend that worked out in Colorado, and uh, the FBI comes to your house and they find out all they can about this person that you know. So it's really difficult, and it's hard for um, for women to believe just because, like you said. A woman accuses someone doesn't make it so. I appreciate the call, Julie. Sorry for those of you we weren't able to get to tonight. Appreciate you joining us on a Freestyle Friday, 9 to 11 weeknights, closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Glenn Beck is next. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.